Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joelcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into the history of our faith. You know, for a good 12 weeks now, we have been about looking at church history and the great Christian thinkers within the context of primarily sacred scripture. Uh, as you may recall, if you have been a faithful listener, the, the first two weeks we looked at uh, two questions. What is history, and why should we study history? And then we began our journey with the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we decided to take up four weeks to go through the book of Acts and to appreciate the Acts of the Apostles as that first record of uh, the early church. And now we enter into a new module. Now we get into that more classic treatment of the great Christian thinkers of church history as we get into the extra-biblical sources. And we're going to do so by starting with St. Clement of Rome. And as you know, if you've been a faithful listener, uh, this evening I have John O'Hare, a parishioner from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. John, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank Great to be here. So, John, St. Clement of Rome, one of my favorite early church figures, a third in line after St. Peter's death. We had uh, Linus, and then Anacletus, and then St. Clement of Rome as Bishop of Rome. Now, we have from St. Irenaeus of Lyon, France, uh, noting in, in one of his works that uh, St. Clement would have conversed with the apostles he would have seen some of the blessed apostles. Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, France, uh, put it well when he said, we can well imagine uh, how many uh, words of the apostles would have been still echoing in his own ears as he was pinning his letters and exercising his authority as the Bishop of Rome. So certainly we can well imagine the kind of authority in his witness that he would have had in his presence, just not in Rome, but really the whole world. Now, St. Clement of Rome, it has been said, he penned a number of letters. The one we know that belongs to him uh, is his letter to the Church of Corinth. And we know this because of uh, the figure Eusebius. He's kind of the archivist, if you will, of the early Christian beginnings. And he offers us a nice uh, soundbite to this figure. Yes, St. Eusebius, uh, the first noted church historian, he wrote several books, which we still have. I'm looking at one called Ecclesiastical History, which, by the way, you can get this from Amazon in English. And in his book 3, chapter 16, he says this, Of this Clement there is one epistle extant, acknowledged as genuine, of considerable length and of great merit, which he wrote in the name of the church at Rome to that of Corinth at the time when there was dissension in the latter. This we know to have been publicly read for common benefit in most of the churches, 
both in former times and in our own. At the time mentioned, a sedition did take place at Corinth, as it is abundantly attested to by Hegesippius. So there was dissension in Corinth. Apparently, the local laity were ganging up on the bishop and the presbyters or priests, and they did not like what was going on, and they were going to remove them. And this was not uh, what Clement wanted. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this letter. And I think it's interesting to note that Clement was in Rome, where Latin is the language. And Corinth is a Greek city speaking Greek. Mm -hmm. Now, virtually all of our New Testament is written in Greek, so uh, Clement may have been a polyglot, spoke several languages. But uh, he wrote this letter, this pope from Rome, and Corinth took it seriously. They read it, and apparently the issue uh, was changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he talked about obedience. And uh, one of his quotes is, um, here, here's a quote from him, If some shall disobey the words which have been spoken by him, that is by Christ, through us, let them know they will involve themselves in no small transgression and danger. So, Christ spoke, we heard it, heard it from the apostles, and now we're passing it on to you, and those words are not to be messed with. He says a little bit later on, the apostles preached the gospel to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, therefore, is from God, and the apostles are from Christ. Both things accordingly came in proper order by the will of God. They, the apostles, went forth preaching the gospel. As they preached, therefore, in the countryside and in the cities, they regularly appointed their first fruits, and after having tested them through the Spirit to be bishops and deacons of future believers, okay, they appointed their first fruits. Therefore, those are your bishops. Those are your presbyters. Mm-hmm. The apostles appointed them. So here we kind of have a church hierarchy. Yeah. yeah. Can I give you one more little? You betcha. Okay. Yep, yep. Our apostles also knew that there would be strife for the name of bishop. For this cause, therefore, they appointed those who have, for those who have been already mentioned, bishops and deacons, and afterwards gave it as a rule that they should fall asleep other that all their approved men should, should succeed to their ministry. If they should fall asleep, they should die. Mm-hmm. Other approved people should be appointed to their ministry. So this letter to the Corinthians kind of establishes a hierarchy, and people who have this authority are appointed by those already in authority, and God's word was supposed to be kept intact, Yes, which was the main issue that, that Clement was interested in. Yeah, and a number of things strike me as you are reading those quotes, John. The first of which, how much his letter is patterned after really all of St. Paul's epistles, right? I mean, if you were to look closely at St. Paul's epistles, their structure, you have a very similar structure. Paul was concerned about the very same things, even to the Church of Corinth. Remember, yes. he, he needed to get their attention twice, you know, uh-huh. two separate letters. So certainly uh, St. Clement of Rome would have been influenced by St. Paul. A couple of things of note here. If you were to go to the conclusion of Paul's epistle to Rome, he beseeches the Christians 
not to follow those who are causing dissent. You go to verse 17 and 18. He, he says how they serve their own appetite. They do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they give you fair speeches, but they deceive the hearts of men. He warns those who are obedient to the doctrine that Jesus Christ taught to be careful of those who offer fair and flattering words, yet in the end do not lead you to the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember, it is in his epistle to Rome, both in the beginning and the end, the kind of alpha and omega points of his epistle, the bookends, if you will, where he highlights the importance of the obedience of faith as it relates to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you think about this here. He is writing this letter to Rome. Uh, St. Clement is from Rome. He would have been well aware of these words. huh? And, and how about um, Paul's uh, epistles to Timothy as we talk about apostolic succession? How important is it that we can trace our hierarchy down to Jesus Christ? You know, the church still today passes on its apostolic authority as the first apostles show us in the pages of Scripture. By what? Well, as 1 Timothy 5.22 and 2 Timothy 1.6 show us, by the laying on of hands. It's a matter of the gift, the charisms, the grace conferred through the imposition of divinely qualified hands, John. Furthermore, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul talks about there in chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 16, the importance of staying steadfast to the oral traditions which, which have been handed on to you. The, the Latin for tradition, tradere, to hand on. Um, we have the word deposit uh, in Paul's epistles, the Greek paretheke, treasure. Uh, I am entrusting this to you as Christ and the apostles entrusted it to me. This deposit, this treasure, are about the teachings of Jesus Christ. St. Clement of Rome is saying, hey guys, Christ established a church, a church founded on the 12 apostles, and this is the foundation. To appreciate St. Clement of Rome is to appreciate uh, John, the importance and the emphasis he puts on uh, the laity. Yes. There is, it's striking. You see throughout St. Clement of Rome's epistle to the Church of Corinth this uh, influence from his scholarship in, in, in the Hebrews, you know, the, the, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews. You see it weaved yeah. throughout. And why? Because he wants to emphasize what? The priesthood. Yes. The letter to the Hebrews is all about the priesthood. Absolutely. And what he wants the Church of Corinth to understand is the importance of the priesthood. But it's just not that. What he also wants to do is to call out the laity. Mm-hmm. In the Greek, the leagos. Yeah. Right? It's the first time the Church, in an official document, uses the term laity. And he doesn't do it in a way where we are to see the priesthood as in opposition with the laity. No, he wants to communicate that there's to be an organic unity between the priesthood and the laity, that they are to work on one front. What you had happening in the church of Corinth was the two uh, not working side by side. There was, as you made note, John, there was dissension. 
And so he's wanting to bring about a deeper sense of what the priesthood is all about. That's why you see him using mm. so frequently as kind of like this golden thread throughout his letter to Corinth, the letter to the Hebrews, because he wants the people to understand the importance of what Christ established in the priesthood. And in turn, then the call of the laity to work in conjunction with the priesthood. Very important. Yet his uh, one commentator said that his uh, style of writing was very similar to that of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Hebrews mm-hmm. influenced him not only theologically, but also he just liked that language. That made sense to him. And you are correct. This is the first mention of the word laity I'm, I'm aware of. Yeah, and what's striking about this, John, for us 2,000 years later? You know, we, here we are talking about St. Clement of Rome and this letter to Corinth 2,000 years. What does this have to do with us? Yeah. Right? A lot, John, because what was the essence of Vatican II 50 years ago? It was to bring about this deeper sense of holiness a deeper sense of the role of the Holy Spirit, just not in the hierarchy and the priesthood, but also the laity. Yes. There was a, a really a renewal in the purpose and identity of the laity. This is uh, one of the tasks that the fathers, the council fathers of Vatican II, really wanted to bring about. Okay, so very relevant to us uh, today. I mean, this letter is, is important. In fact, there is this kind of quasi-canonical character to this letter, a letter that almost, almost, John, made the canon of the New Testament. So what am I saying? The letter we're talking about right now was almost a part of the Bible. I mean, how did this all come about? Remember, we didn't have a New Testament book until the end of the fourth century. A lot of the Gospels and a lot of the epistles were being circulated and certainly being read during uh, the Eucharist, the breaking of the bread, and it was that as, as the kind of measuring stick that the bishops and the synod of bishops there in Rome decided upon, well, yeah, this is why we want to decide upon the Gospels and the Epistles, because uh, in these books we get a deeper sense of the larger schema of salvation history. St. Clement of Rome's letter to Corinth was within that discussion You have, what was it, St. Athanasius was the first to attest in 367 to the canon of the New Testament. You had the synod gathered in Rome in 380 that advanced the discussion, and then the two councils, 397, Council of Mm -hmm. Hippo, and the Council of Carthage in 417 that essentially ratified the New Testament. The measuring stick was the liturgy, was the Mass. What were the books being read during the Mass? What were the books that were giving us a deeper sense of how God has worked in salvation history? Clement of Rome, that letter to Corinth Mm -hmm. was almost there. Now, where did it end up? It ended up in what we call the Didache, which is a Latin word that means to teach. And so certainly a lot of letters that were being written and circulated in early church um, have found their uh, destination in the Didache, and because they are important. But I talk about all this because certainly there was of great value, and it has been noted by church historians uh, that this letter to Corinth, because of its continuity, and because St. Clement of Rome would have, would have seen the apostles, that certainly it uh, was almost in the canon itself. Yeah, his, um, this letter I read in preparation, was read at, at church services. And then I have read in the, the first solid collection of the New Testament was about 144 A.D. 
found in around Milan, Italy. And it didn't have the complete New Testament as we have it today, but it had just about all of it. Um, certainly the four Gospels, actually the Apostles, uh, most of Paul's letters, but not all. Mm-hmm. It also had uh, the Shepherd of Hermes was in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there were others. But eventually it got straight down to the consuls you mentioned. But mm-hmm. uh, he was, I mean, this letter was taken seriously. You mentioned St. Irenaeus. St. Irenaeus said, all other churches must bring themselves into line on account of its superior authority. That would be mm-hmm. the Church of Rome. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, uh, he's after coming to Rome's time. Yeah. But the, yeah. The, the, this, was, uh, this was a real letter saying, look, we have to hang together, Christians. Yeah. And here's your interpretation of Christ's words. Yeah, and as we talk about this letter, John, we have this focus on the priesthood and laity. But in its larger, larger picture, there are two key elements, and that is the the element of, of salvation of Jesus Christ and also that imperative element of, of moral commitment. Because again, like Paul, he's talking about the cross as the instrument to salvation. And then he says, we've been given this gift, and at the same time, we are called to respond to this gift. And this response is a moral response. And so he challenges the church of Corinth. And St. Clement of Rome, years later, is doing the same thing. It's to remember also that uh, we have the great uh, Christological hymn about the greatest of all virtues being love mm-hmm. coming yeah. from Paul to the church of Corinth because they were getting so hung up on all of these things that in the end did not hold a stick to the great and towering virtue of caritas, charity, uh, agape, love, sacrificial love. So you see St. Clement of Rome doing the same thing. John, I wanted to to read from um, our Pope Emeritus, Bennett XVI, as he talks about this uh, indicative element of salvation and then the imperative element of moral commitment, the response that um, we are charged to have in light of the gift of salvation. He says this, First of all came the joyful proclamation of saving grace. The Lord forewarns us and gives us his forgiveness, gives us his love and the grace to be Christians, his brothers and sisters. It is a proclamation that fills our life with joy and gives certainty to our action. The Lord always forewarns us with his goodness, and the Lord's goodness is always greater than all our sins. However, we must commit ourselves in a way that is consistent with the gift received and respond to the proclamation of salvation with a generous and courageous journey of conversion. So what our Emeritus Pope is talking about there, John, is, yeah, in conformity with Paul's epistles, does he speak to this element of salvation and this element of our moral response? And what lies at the heart of this response? St. Clement of Rome highlights the twin virtues of humility and fraternal love. Yes. Humility and fraternal love. And I want to talk a little bit about this because his whole letter moves towards that. I just spoke about the priesthood and the laity. You talked about the the disobedience. If we are not rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who's given himself over to us entirely, then we are not going to have a, a deeper sense of what it means to say yes. 
And so we have this uh, great line from Clement of Rome's letter. He says, let us do all things which pertain to holiness. Let us live for holiness. I was just talking about Vatican II. I was just talking about this universal call to holiness, a call that just isn't prescribed for the priests and the cardinals and the bishops, but a prescription for all of man. Christ has given us in the Beatitudes the charter for holiness. And what St. Clement of Rome is doing is he's simply echoing St. Paul, who was the first echo to Christ, that first and foremost, if we root ourselves in the Beatitudes, we will live for Jesus Christ. And when we live for Jesus Christ, we will bear witness to the truth that is holiness. Isn't it interesting that he's writing a letter because there is trouble with authority in Corinth. And at the heart of that letter is humility and fraternal love and the Beatitudes, the, you know, the complement to the Ten Commandments. Yes. And that's really what the Christianity is about, yeah. are those issues. Yeah. And we have to keep together as to what we really mean by these issues. Yeah. Christ gave us that. That's right, John. And, you know, we read St. Clement of Rome's letter to the Church of Corinth, and, and we read uh, the, the canonical epistles that come to us from, from Paul, Peter, James, and we see something very similar. We see this movement towards this call to be holy. I, I could never understate this enough, that while we have these things of doctrine, it moves to something deeper. Why? Because doctrine is not about something, but about someone. And that Mm -hmm. someone is the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency to get so wrapped up in a doctrine, whether it be the doctrine of creation, uh, the Trinity, whatever it may be, you know, we get caught up in the semantics of it, that we forget it's, it's a revelation about the person of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation about the profound insight that Jesus Christ gives to us in regards to the relationship he shares with his Father. We have to keep in mind what doctrine points to. And this is what St. Clement of Rome's letter was about. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about the priesthood. He's talking about the apostolic church. Why? That we might gain a deeper sense of what it's all about. And in the end, he hits a home run because it all points to Jesus Christ. It always amazes me that these early guys, the apostles, St. Clement of Rome, etc., got it so well, so fast. Yeah. It, it, it's striking, really. You know, we spend so much time debating these matters, and in the midst of the debate, in the midst of the point-counterpoint, punch-counterpunch of our discussions, we forget that there's Jesus in the middle saying, what about me? (laughs) Look, guys, I'm over here. This should be a dialogue moving towards me. Always mindful. A dialogue is about truth and Christ is truth incarnate, right? Dialogos, a discussion between two people. And this is what it always must move towards. All um, very relevant to our discussion as we talk about St. Clement of Rome, because this is what he was about. He wanted us to see this for what it is, and certainly those who were in the Church of Corinth. We don't know what happened to him at the end of his life. Um, I, I might also add that while his letters may have been, uh, well, they were mentioned in the liturgy, 
There were other letters attributed to him that were not because people began to realize it was a little bit too far off off the line. Mm -hmm. But he may have been martyred, we don't know. One account claims that he was arrested and taken to Crimea. Now, there's a place that's been in the news recently where he died. Yes, We don't know. But uh, he very well may have died a martyr, but there's no real evidence for that. Yeah. As we wrap up our time, John, with our remaining minutes, I thought we would be well served to consider how St. Clement of Rome wraps up his letter with this great prayer that Pope Benedict calls uh, a, a prayer that confers a cosmic breath to the whole letter itself. What does he do? Clement praises and thanks God for his marvelous uh, providence of love that created the world and continues to save and sanctify it. This prayer for rulers and governors acquires special importance. You know, subsequent to the New Testament text, John, it is the oldest prayer for political institutions. In the period of persecutions, Christians, well aware of the time that they were living in, would continue to never cease praying for the very authorities who had unjustly condemned them. Why? Why would they do this? Well, John, I think we can all gather why. You know, It is primarily Christological. It is necessary to pray for one's persecutors as Jesus did on the cross. But this prayer, this great prayer that St. Clement of Rome offers for us is one that contains a teaching that guides the attitude of Christians towards politics and the state down through the centuries. In praying for the authorities, St. Clement of Rome recognizes the legitimacy of political institutions in the order established by God. And at the same time, he offers for us more insight. He expresses his concern that the authorities would be docile to God, devoutly, as he puts it, devoutly in peace and meekness, exercising the power given them by God. In effect, Caesar is not everything. (laughs) Caesar was called the son of God. No, there's a new son of God, a real, authentic, absolute son of God, the one who is the true and only giver of peace. So what he wants us to see is that there's another sovereignty that emerges, whose origins and essence are not of this world, but, as St. Clement of Rome says, from the heavens above. That is truth itself. So Clement's letter, as it addresses numerous themes of perennial timeliness, they are therefore themes that we need to take up, John, and embrace for what they are, lest we lose sight of the objective moral standard that Christ has given to us and that he has handed on to the apostles and through the apostolic church through the ages. So important. Let us close in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.